I want to welcome you all in Jesus' name. This is Life Christian Center. We welcome you to our Sunday morning service. Now this morning, I am going to be talking from the book, 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now before I go to my message, I just want to comment regarding what is happening right now. Uh, we are in difficult times. We are in, uh, well, the world as in, in general is really struggling. We are seeing many sick people. We are seeing people that are dying. But the word of God says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. So the good news is joy is coming in the morning when we look at the right source. Now I'll go back to my message. As I said, it's coming from 1 Samuel chapter 4. I will start reading. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Afek. Then the Philistines put themselves in a battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. Verse 3, and when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why is the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Verse 6, now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been, as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is the reading this morning. So, now to start our message, let's just pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning. We want to give all the glory and all the honor. Lord, I pray that this message will come out clear 
And I pray in Jesus' name that it will touch the hearts and minds of those that are listening right now. Lord, I want to thank you for I know this is good news. And I know it is the word of life. And therefore, I surrender everything unto you and say, Lord, take control. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, the title of my message is Ministry of Jesus. Now, why do I say the Ministry of Jesus? I'm going to do a series, and it will include the Ministry of Jesus. So, even here in the Old Testament, uh, we can see that Jesus was also there. Now, regarding the passage that we've just been reading, you know, now, we realize, or we can put it this way, that, you know, Israel was going out to war with the Philistines. And when you think about it, really, you can summarize and say, this was really a dark night for the Israelites. For what happened was anything that they did not expect at all. So you can also classify it as a dark chapter in the lives or in the history of the Israelites. Now, if I can summarize what happened. Now, what happened is Israel went out to war. And when they went out to war, 4,000 men were defeated. And when 4,000 men were defeated, you know, the Israelites decided, well, why were we defeated? Then they decided to bring in the ark of the Lord to the, to the army or to the war. So the ark of the Lord was actually, you know, instructed to be brought to the war. And when it came, there was such a shout from the people. You know, the Bible actually describes and says, uh, the earth shook from the noise that was made by the Israelites when they were celebrating when the ark of the Lord was brought into the war. So what happened next is uh, Israel went into war, but then something happened again. Israel was defeated. They suffered a worse defeat at this time. And about 30,000 men were killed. So this is the story that we are going to talk about. Why was Israel defeated? So I'm going to start from verse 1. Now verse 1, it says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. Now when I'm looking at this, you know, I would say it was a major event in the life of Israel. It was a major event in that, you know, it is a war. And if it is a war, what it means is some people might die. So my surprise when I'm reading in this chapter is that, you know, I don't see any preparation. I don't see any prayer before the war. In other words, I can say Israel was sleepwalking into war. As far as we know about the Israelites is they were, they were not that good in terms of their military expertise compared with the enemy. Now, historically, the Philistines are known as people who were very good in war. They were ruthless and they had the experience of the war. But what about Israel? We know that Israel was solely depending on God. That's so in this situation, I can say Israel was taking God for granted. Now, as an example, in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, now the Bible would say, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Why? Nehemiah had heard about bad news. 
And when he had heard about bad news, I would think that he was now planning what to do. It was a major event that had happened in Israel and Nehemiah was concerned. So even thinking about his next step, Nehemiah went to pray. And the Bible actually described it as, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, fasting and praying before God of heaven. Now, exactly this is the sort of behavior that I would have expected of the Israelites on a national level when they were going for such a major event. But I don't see it in this chapter. Now, let me ask you also on a personal level. Now, when you are going out for something that is important, something that is critical, do you just go or you make preparations? Now, I remember even people that are going on holiday. You know, even you are, when you are going on holiday, you make preparations. You know, you have to think through what are you going to need? What are you going to do? But in this case, I just see Israel just sleepwalking into the war. And I have another example again coming from Numbers 9, verse 18. Now, I'll read, it says, At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained and camped. Now, when you think about this story, here we can clearly see that, you know, they were depending on God for their journey. And because they were depending on God for their journey, it's like they allowed God to be like the commander of the army. Because the Bible says, at the command of the Lord, the children of God would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. So this is, you know, the sort of expectation or this is the sort of activity that you would expect of people that are depending on God. But in this chapter, we see none of it. The children of Israel, as I said, were just sleepwalking into the war. Now, I would want to say again, even as Christians, Sometimes we can also take God for granted. Now in Romans 1, 20 to 21, the Bible says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. No way thankful. Now, what this passage is saying to me is, there is nobody who has an excuse. Now, God has revealed himself to every individual. How did he reveal himself? According to this passage, you know, through what he has made, Every one of us knows that there is God and there is no excuse. But it goes on to say, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. So in other words, the Bible is saying we need to place God at his proper place. We need to give him the glory for our lives. We need to be thankful now, as born-again Christians, one other thing that, you know, should characterize us is thanking God for our salvation. If we don't thank God every day for our salvation, what it means is we are taking our salvation for granted. The Bible in Hebrews 2 clearly says this is a great salvation. So like the Israelites, many of us don't experience abundant life that God has in store for us. 
the zeal and passion of meeting Jesus can slowly decrease as we go around everyday life, causing us to look back or slip back into old habits and patterns, including leaving God out of our lives altogether. Now, what does this mean? Now, to me, this clearly shows that, you know, if we say we are in a relationship with God, we cannot take him for granted. If ever you are in a relationship with somebody, you cannot take them for granted. Now, a relationship takes work. Even the relationship between spouses can be affected if we do not spend time together. In the same way, if we do not choose to spend time with God, our relationship with Him will be affected, sometimes resulting in us taking Him for granted. So what's my message here? I'm saying we need to stop taking God for granted. We need to realize he has come into our lives as our best friend, as our savior, as our Lord. And therefore, we need to apportion appropriate time to be with him. Now, he is our creator and we are the sheep of his pasture. He loves you and deeply desires to spend Time with you. Just imagine. He longs to transform your heart, shape you, and mold into a person he originally created you to be. I also like this passage. It's coming from Exodus 3, 7 to 8. Now, I'll read. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So in this passage, you know, God is actually saying, I know everything about you. I know the struggles that you are having right now. I know everything. Now, even right now, as we say, the world is struggling against the coronavirus. You know what? God knows everything about it. And here he actually says, I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land into a land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, to me, when I'm listening to this passage, I understand that God desires the best for me. God is concerned for my life. Even as the Bible says, he will never leave you, nor forsake you. Therefore, we should never take God for granted. We should realize that he is our best friend. He is our best mate. And therefore, we should take time to know him, to understand him, to be with him. Now, I'll go to the second point. And this is coming from 1 Samuel chapter 4 again, verse 3. Now this one, I would say it's a question that is coming from the Israelites. I'll read it, says, verse 3. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why is the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Now, one thing that is clear there is, you know, they were not expecting to lose in this war. 
they were sure that God is going to be with them and they were going to overcome. But now they've just realized something. God was not with them. In other words, they have a clear understanding that in such times, God must take the lead and bring them to victory. Defeat was a clear and obvious sign that God was not with them. So what do we say about this verse? Now, clearly, for me, I would say there is something special, you know, about God and the Israelites. You know, the Israelites had an understanding that God was their God. And if God was their God, if they are going out for war, God must lead the way. So here they were asking and saying, why is the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? But if you think of it, it was not God who defeated them. It was the Philistines. But because of their relationship, according to them, a defeat, it means it is God. And a victory is God. In other words, everything they surrendered to God. But the surprising thing is, if this is the situation, why then, before the war, did they consult their God? Why then, before their God, did they talk to their God? So in other words, what we can also deduce from this passage is, Israel was thinking of something else. Israel was so steeped in idolatry that they forgot, you know, the least manners that are expected of people who are in a relationship. Now, I'll go on to the next session. The next session says, again in the same verse, it says, Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. Now, what I say about this is, this was a hurried decision. This was a hasty decision made in distress. Why? Because Israel had been defeated. And you know, when you have been defeated, it's easy, you know, to be in distress. It's so easy to come up with a hasty decision. Now, Proverbs 19 verse 2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and to be overhasty is to sin and miss the mark. Now, this is the amplified version. Now, the complete Jewish Bible would say, to act without knowing how you function is not good, and if you rush ahead, you will miss your goal. Now, what I'm implying here is that Israel made a rushed decision. And whenever you make a rushed decision, I want to warn you, in most cases, that decision will not be the right decision. That decision will not come out right. Now, Proverbs 15 verse 22 says, your plans will fall apart right in front of you if you fail to get good advice. But if you first seek out multiple counselors, you will watch your plans succeed. So what am, what am I saying at this point? I'm saying Israel needed to take time to think through what had happened. Yes, they'd been defeated. But then... They need to go back to the drawing board. They need to seek God again. They need to go into intensive prayer now. They needed to consult their God much more now. But what did they do? They went into a rushed decision. They decided to call in the ark of the Lord. I'll go on to the next session. Okay. And it says, 
Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. Just listen. That when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, you know, just thinking through this passage, what were they thinking? What were they trying to do? Now, what I realize is Israel was actually thinking about yesterday. They were now trying to replay the victories of yesterday. Or in one way, you can also say, this is now superstition or illusion or wishes. And more so, I would say, really, this is idolatry. Now, why? Because it clearly says, let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, the reason is, this issue of bringing the ark into the wall, now, they had seen it, you know, in Joshua, because if we, if we, Think about, you know, Joshua and the Israelites. What we remember at that stage is the ark was right in front. And this is how Jericho was brought down. Now, what happened at that time is, you know, God had given specific instructions so that the singers and the ark of the Lord would be in front of the whole crowd. And you know they had instructions on what to do. So in my mind, when I'm looking at this passage, what I realize is the Israelites were thinking of, that, of this victory. So they wanted to replay this victory. But then, yet God told them to bring the ark now. Because if you think about it, back then, they had specific instructions to bring the ark into the wall. But now we had told them to do so. Now concerning the ark, the ark had always been the place where God dwelt. In a special way among the Israelites, it contained the table of the Ten Covenants, the message where the high priest atoned for the sins of the nation, Aaron's rod that had budded. It was therefore a symbol of God and his presence. So the elders of Israel remembered Joshua's conquest of Jericho. Now this is in Joshua 6, 2, verses 2 to 20. Now nevertheless, back then, the people trusted in God. Not in the ark as a good luck charm. You know, one, th one thing that is interesting is the elders had forgotten about the scene of Achan in which 36 people had died. When they were thinking about this occasion, they were only thinking of the good times. The ark was only a symbol of God's presence and power, but it was not God. You know, I can give an example, even in our lives today, that there are so many things that we take for granted sometimes. There are so many things that we carry along, and then, you know, we imagine that they are God. For example, people can have a crucifix or a picture of Jesus. Now, a crucifix or a picture of Jesus is not God. But it's good to have it. Why? Because it can identify you among non-Christians. Sometimes people can have a big family Bible in their home. And some people, they even go to the extent of buying anointed oil from Israel. For some people, you might find that, you know, they think if my wife or my husband or if my father or my mother are spiritual, then 
I'm acceptable to God. Now, there's a story in Luke 18, 11 to 12. I'll read it. It says, I'll just read 11 to 12. Now, it is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So, verses 11 to 12 says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. So, in one way, you can say, now the prayer of this Pharisee was actually justifying himself before God. He was saying, because I fast twice a week, I give tithe of all that I possess, then I'm acceptable to you. So what we say is, these things are good, but they are no substitute for a vital personal relationship with God. Now, what God desires of us is a personal relationship with him. These things are good. But then we know that they are not a substitute of God himself. God is a living God. And we should understand that, you know, we need to approach him knowing that he is a living God who is in our hearts, who knows everything. You know, in, in one sense, you can even say that, you know, God knows us better than ourselves. He knows you better than you. And therefore, when we are approaching God, we should understand that really, we are approaching somebody who knows and yet, he is personal to us. He has chosen through Jesus to become personal. You know, the Bible clearly says, you know what? He is now resident in our hearts. And I like even this verse, you know. It says, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So when we come to God understanding that God is a living God, who knows and who understands? Who, when we approach, we can really approach him as a person? Because indeed, he is. I'll go to the next session. Now, I'm not so sure what verse this is, but I'm sure when I... Okay, let me just check. I think it's verse 6. Okay. Yeah. It's verse 5. Okay. It says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Okay. So really, what does this mean? Now again, I say this was a replay of the victory that had actually been accomplished uh, during the time of Joshua. Now, because at that time, what we understand is, after a big shout, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, but then, what we know back then, the shout was coming after specific instructions. But here in this passage, what we realize is, well, I would put it as people were trying to manipulate God or people were trying to use their emotions because, you know, I cannot imagine even the earth shaking out of a shout. 
So I would say the elders' decision of bringing the ark was based on history, but not wisdom from God. The ark was in front with the singers. The shouting had brought down Jericho. So trying to replay previous spiritual victories by going through the same procedures and emotions of yesterday is no substitute of getting right with God. So Israel, instead of sitting down and finding out why God was not with them, they decided to replay the victories of yesterday. And what we are saying here is being emotional is no substitute for getting right with God. Now I've wasted, I've, now what I mean is, I have witnessed, even in my short life, I have witnessed people being very emotional when, you know, when it comes to things of the Lord. Sometimes people can become so emotional to the extent that they will be crying. I don't see anything wrong with that. But our emotions must also be accompanied with the truth. Now, emotion on its own will never move God. God is not moved by emotions. Our emotions must be accompanied by the truth as revealed from the word of God. Now, I'm, I'm now on my last section. And my last section here is, God always gives a way out. Now, I'll read from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common. I'll start again. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to men. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, we also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So looking at this passage is, now, temptations, in one way or another, we can say, is a way of life. Temptations will always come to us. But then the Bible is saying, you know, the Bible is clear. It says, temptations do not come from God. God has no time for tempting us. We know temptations come from the enemy. But even then, when a temptation has come to us, the Bible is saying, no temptation is overtaken you except such as is common to all men. That means God will never allow something that is uncommon. No. In other words, the temptation that you are going through, other people have gone through such temptations. And the good news is, others have gone through such a temptation and they have won. So in other words, you need courage. You need understanding. You need, to, you need to continue to abide in the Lord. Now Psalms 91 verse 1, it says, Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the power of the, in the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say it again. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So my message is, we need to continue to abide. We need to continue to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. 
When we continue to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, we shall enjoy the covering of the Lord. We shall enjoy the shadow of the Lord. You know, the word dwelling actually, you know, you know, shows us that, you know, if you are a dweller, it means most of the time you are found in that house. You can pop in and out, but most of the times when people are looking for you, they will find you in there. So the Bible is actually saying we need to be dwellers in the secret place of the Most High. In that way, we shall be able to abide in his shadow. Now, coming back to this verse again, I'm saying, the Bible is saying, no temptation is overtaken you except such as is common to men. In other words, the temptation that you are facing right now, it is the same as other people are going through. And as I said before, the good news is they have overcome. And it goes on to say, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, we also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, in every temptation that we go through, God is a way of escape. God sees, he knows, he has already arranged for you a way of escape. Now, which was the way of escape for Israel at this time? I'll read from 1 Samuel 3, verse 7. It says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. That's 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So here what we see is Samuel was just a boy in the house of the Lord. And the Bible is also telling that in this period, the word of the Lord was rare. There was no widespread revelation. And yet, also in this period, the Bible is clear that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. But what happened? God called him out of this situation. Samuel was just there, faithfully ministering unto his God. He was not even aware of the whole picture, but God called him. At such a time as this, for a special purpose. Again, in 1 Samuel 3, 19 to 20, the Bible says, So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. So in this passage, we realize that Samuel has already been called by God. Not only has he been called by God, in this passage, what we also understand is he had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Whatever he prophesied would come to be. Whatever prophecy Samuel said came true. So on those grounds, we realize that 
Samuel had actually been chosen as a prophet of the Lord for this season. And in verse 20, the Bible would actually say, everybody in Israel knew about this. Because it says from Dan to Beersheba, that means the whole of Israel, they knew Samuel was there. Samuel had been called as a prophet of the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 3 verse 21, it also says, Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, in this passage, or in this you know, particular verse, what does it mean? Now, what it actually means to me is, you know what? God continued to train Samuel. God continued, even in such a dark chapter, even in such a dark period of Israel, God was training Samuel. Because here he says, even though there was no widespread revelation as in this, as, you know, in this period, but to Samuel, God continued to visit him. In fact, it actually says, For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, the word of the Lord here can actually mean when Samuel was now reading his word, that word became alive to him. Or it can actually mean that Jesus was actually visiting him. So in other words, we can say that, you know what? Even in this dark chapter of Israel, even in this dark period of Israel, Jesus was there visiting Samuel, speaking to Samuel, encouraging Samuel. So what are we saying? We are saying God is a faithful God. He will never leave us, nor forsake us. We can come to periods and times when we think everything is useless. Everything is not going right. But tell you what, God is faithful. He is a provision for every period. My question is, do you know the provision of God for your life right now? Are you aware? Are you awake so that you may understand what God is doing to your life? I would want to encourage us this morning. I want to encourage everybody to say, understand God. Study the word of God. Go to that point whereby you understand that God is a good God. Indeed, he is a good God. The Bible tells us that, you know what? He gave us his one and only son. That those, hallelujah, that those who believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God is a provision for every one of us. God is a provision for all of us in Jesus. What does he desire? He desires us to believe in Jesus. He desires for us to believe in him through Jesus. This is the great salvation of the Lord. Just as Samuel had been placed in this dark chapter of Israel so that he would bring them a revelation, so that he would bring them redemption in this period. But the unfortunate thing is, Israel was so steeped in idolatry, their eyes were blinded, their hearts were blinded, they could not see the provision of God. Now, my understanding, in my own opinion, is now when Israel had been defeated, even before it had been defeated, even before the war, 
Israel needed to consult with its leaders. They needed to consult with their priest Eli who was there. They needed to consult with Samuel. They needed to consult regarding this war. And again, after the first defeat, what would they have to do? In my opinion, they would have gone to the drawing table, gone back to Eli, gone back to, e to Samuel and say, guys, this is the situation. What do you think we should do about it? But Israel was so blinded. So my message today is, what are you doing? What are you occupying yourself with? Now remember, if you are occupying yourself with other things, it is easy for you to take God for granted. Are you making a rushed decision? Now, my message is, a rushed decision will never come out right. When things have gone wrong, you need to go back. You need to seek the Lord in earnest prayer. And say, Lord, why has this not come right? Why is it that everything that I do is not coming right? So I want to thank you this morning. I want to thank everybody who has been listening. My prayer is you have received something that can help you even in this season. Now I will pray. Father, I want to thank you, even for this message. I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your provision in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you have given us Jesus as a provision for our life, even in this life. I want to thank you that, Lord, you have even placed other men, men and women, Lord, to help us even in this life. I want to thank you in this day that God, you are our God. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. We want to thank you for your favor. We want to thank you for your provision. My prayer right now is open our eyes, open our hearts. So that, Lord, we may be able to see and receive the covering that you have for us. That we may be able to see that through the cross of Calvary, everything that we need is here and available for us. Lord, I want to thank you that indeed you are a faithful God. For you have said you will never leave us nor forsake us. I want to thank you that even in this period, you will never forsake us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.